ghostly greetings and welcome to this year's spine-chilling edition of Halloween Horror Stories from the Real Estate Guys, despicable depictions of deals that went horrendously wrong, yet can provide powerful lessons for real estate investors. It's another spooktacular episode today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Welcome to this year's scary edition of the Real Estate Guys radio program and Halloween Horror Stories. We do this every year. Let's meet our co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, it's always great to talk about the benefits of real estate, how real estate can make you money, how everything's so awesome. But in reality, real estate comes with ups and downs. And many, many years ago, when we were doing our live uh, mentoring clubs monthly, we would have uh, Halloween Horror Stories in October, which were case studies where something didn't go so well, the problems that happen. And today, we got a bunch of them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I think the the first thing is just understanding there's so many lessons when things go wrong. Really, most of the lessons are when things go wrong. And I also think it's a little bit therapeutic because, you know, real estate investors are kind of lone wolves or mavericks are out there working on their own. And when things go sideways, you think to yourself, man, what's wrong with me? I must be the stupidest investor on planet Earth. And all of a sudden, when you hear that other people are having many of the similar problems you're having, uh, it just makes you feel like, okay, maybe I'm not alone. And then you hear what they learned and you hear how they resolved it. You pick some things up. So it's turned out to be one of our most popular uh, segments that we do every year. In fact, one year we skipped it yeah. and uh, we got a bunch of complaints from people who said, hey, where's the Halloween horror stories for this year? So we've never missed since. That was one and only time. Yeah. And so we're excited about hearing uh, today's horrible tales from Main Street. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things about it is the real estate investing educational world tends to focus on all the great things and that's awesome and we're optimists by nature but we're also eyes wide open taking a look at what's happening and what may be down the road and and all of that and so the reality of owning real estate is that it doesn't always go well right tenants are challenging properties are challenging other people are challenging and so the real message is that in your real estate investing career Things are going to go wrong. That's not the problem. The problem is how you react to it. Yeah. And as you hit on, and that's the big part of today, the lessons that you learn. What uh, we don't want to hear about is just a bunch of misery and horror and things that went bad if there was no resolution. And some of our stories today are pretty tough stories. And yet there's always a silver lining. There's always something you can learn. And the great news is you don't have to make the mistake yourself. You can learn from other people. Yeah, I learned a long time ago from Tom Hopkins when I first started in 
selling and I was so insecure and shy that failure wasn't me. It wasn't a permanent state. It was a experience. It was something that went wrong. It was a learning opportunity. It was a chance to get the feedback I needed to adjust what I was doing. And so that's really what all this is about. This is about getting these lessons. And the thing that's great about it is it makes you better going in the in the front end of a deal because it helps you do due diligence better because you can anticipate risk. One of my favorite quotes is Sam Zell in his book, Am I Being Too Subtle? And he said the thing that made him such a successful investor, and this guy's huge. I mean, you know, we talk about Donald Trump, or, you know, at least before he was the president, he was the iconic real estate investor. But Sam Zell's probably 10 times bigger. I mean, yeah. well, maybe not 10, but huge. And Sam said that his real secret to success was his ability to see the downside. And that just comes from understanding what can go wrong. And then, of course, having the ability to know and trust your ability to work through the issues, not avoid them, but work through them and come to a successful resolution. And Tony Robbins says, you don't lack resources, you lack resourcefulness. And I think one of the most important things about your mindset when you face difficult challenges and hearing that other people have been there, done that, helps you stay in a resourceful state. Hey, this is an experience. I'm going to get through this. And, you know, really, in a lot of times, we laugh about it. We had people that would have things go wrong, and then they would call us up and and tell us how excited they were that something went wrong because now they were going to have a Halloween horror story to tell, and they saw the value in it. Well, first year or two, all the Halloween horror story case studies were our own issues, things that went bad in our dealings and real estate we owned and our own holdings and the lessons we learned. And And then a funny thing started to happen. People would say, well, I have one and I have one. And we would do this three-hour live event and then take kind of the greatest hits of that for an hour radio show. Uh, Well, we don't do the live event anymore, so it's just on the radio. And pleased to say that all of the Halloween Horror Stories this year are from listeners. It's real world. Real world. And uh, I will have to say it takes a lot of guts to be able to, you know, stand up in front of the room or talk to hundreds of thousands of people and admit when there's been a problem. Sometimes the problems are things that you could have avoided and sometimes they're not. But what I want you to listen through as we go through the Halloween Horror Stories is what the people did to resolve the situation and more importantly, the lessons that they learned. When we come back... Halloween Horror Stories on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. All aboard. Registration is now open for the Real Estate Guys 17th Annual Investor Summit. Imagine spending nine days with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. Returning in 2019 are sales legend Tom Hopkins, international developer Beth Clifford, authors of Prosper Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, and the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffin. Also back is the editor of the Gold Newsletter, Brian London, and Jim Rohn's 18-year business partner, Kyle Wilson. And joining us live and in person for his seventh Investor Summit in a row, Peter Schiff. Plus, lots more to be announced. It all begins March 15th, 2019 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more and reserve your spot. This transformational week is like no conference you've ever attended. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and make plans to spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 17th Annual Investors Summit at Sea. 
Have you decided to invest in real estate but find you don't have the time to evaluate your options? Successful real estate investing takes expertise, market knowledge, and time. Many affluent investors with busy schedules choose to rely on real estate experts. They partner with proven teams with a successful track record. Four Peaks Capital Partners have created a system which allows accredited investors an opportunity to invest in undervalued assets. If you're an accredited investor looking for passive income, call 877-5-INCOME. That's 877-5-INCOME or visit Private Income investments.com hello robert kiyosaki listen to the real estate guys they're wild and crazy but they really know what they're talking about welcome back to the real estate guys radio program the nightmare we call halloween horror stories and our first unnerving anecdote is called the shot heard round the neighborhood this terrifying tale comes to us from our good friend, Sepp Bacom. How are you, Sepp? I'm great, Robert. Good to be here. Good to have you here, and I'm sorry that you're on Halloween Horror Stories, but I'm glad you're willing to share your story. Tell us what happened. Sure. So this is a house uh, that was in a part of a package of uh, about 36 houses that we bought in uh, Kansas City. This was a house uh, that had a Section 8 tenant in there, and it was a tenant that our property management company placed in there. We have a lot of Section 8 tenants. It's uh, overall, it tends to be a good experience. So let's stop just for a second for you know no investor left behind. Section 8 is a public housing agency in an area that places a tenant, and the good part about it is the rent comes in regularly. Typically, most of uh, the agencies will have some split where the tenant pays some rent, but usually the minority portion, and it depends on their qualification and so forth. But generally, the nice thing about Section 8 tenants is you get your money. Right. So uh, go ahead with the story. Sure. Uh, so before I actually talk about the Section 8 tenant, I'll back up. Uh, when we bought the property, there was a tenant that was living in there who also owned the house next door. So they had a daycare business that they were running out of our property, and then they would uh, live in the house next door. And they had a lease option agreement with the, the former seller, uh, but they never exercised the option. So okay. we purchased it, and we had a provision in there that that option expires. And their rent was about 40% below market value. So we gave them notice, the property management company let them know, hey, uh, we got to bring it up to market value. And they weren't happy about it. So they moved out of the house, kind of uh, resentful about that. And then we, that's at the point where we put in a Section 8 tenant. Okay. Uh, we did the criminal background check, credit check and all that, and everything turned out okay. Probably about six months into the tenant living in the house, we found out that there was a drive-by shooting. So the tenant themselves, uh, they were they were okay, but they had um, kids that they're uh, under 18 years old. We don't run criminal check or background check on the on the children, and uh, that particular kid uh, was getting he was a teenager and he was getting involved with gangs or you know drug activity. So he attracted the wrong crowd, and like you guys say, there's no problem property, there's problem owners, and in this case it was a problem owner putting in a problem tenant. Wow. So there was a drive-by shooting on the property, and thankfully um, no one was uh, killed. The, the uh, kid did get injured from it, but was able to make a full recovery. And the tenants ended up uh, moving out shortly afterwards. So it was kind of surprising. I remember even walking through that property in that neighborhood. It didn't. It was it was a C-class property. We've seen D and F before, and it wasn't. <laughs> it didn't get. We didn't get that vibe. Um, so we would assume that basically that problem was falling with that tenant. So. We were in the process of getting the house ready for another tenant, and the, the former tenant, the neighbor next door, wasn't too happy about what happened previously with that drive-by shooting. So every time one of our leasing agents would go and tour the property, they would come over, uh, that the neighbor, the former tenant, would come over and make it very difficult for the leasing agent to, to show the property. They would mention the drive-by shooting, say that they, you know, you should never, uh, you shouldn't sign a lease, this is not a good area, just doing it wherever they could to keep it vacant. 
And there was even one point where they got an alteration with the, the leasing agent. So finally put in a, uh, a good family in there and they were taking care of the property and about a month into it, um, they hear these loud shots and the tenant next door, the neighbor, had fired a paintball gun at the house. So they started panicking and then a couple days afterwards, the tenant, that old tenant, the neighbor, uh, told them about the drive-by shooting and there's some disclosure laws in that particular state. If there's a fatality, we have to disclose it. But since there wasn't a fatality, you know, no harm, no foul. So the new tenants we put in then wanted to move out. So then there was a bit of an issue because this, this neighbor was causing a loss yeah. of income, making it difficult for us to, to rent out the property. So, so what happened? What did you do? We made an agreement with the, the tenant that we had put in there. And we, we told them, we want to make sure that you guys are safe and that you guys are comfortable living here. Um, so instead of moving out, would you guys feel comfortable if we put in a security system? So kind of like uh, like you see like these ring systems or these other companies. Yep. And uh, we'll pay for the monitoring service. And they said, yeah, let's try it out. And uh, we've had it in there for probably about eight months now. And they've been happy ever since. Okay, awesome. So a couple of great lessons here. That's a great solution. So thinking outside of the box rather than losing tenant and we know the most costly things in in residential real estate are turnover and vacancy and you had a lot of that with this nuisance neighbor next door thinking outside the box putting in security system brilliant it's not that expensive to retain a tenant one of the things we can't control is the neighbors whether they're owners or tenants so you can screen and it's very difficult to screen a, a younger person right you right. generally don't have records. I mean, I suppose that's possible and maybe something for the property manager to consider, but uh, you, you can't screen the neighbors. You have no right to go to the police or any of that kind of stuff unless they do something. So interesting that it's uh, been affected by the legacy of that story. You know, the disclosure thing's interesting, right? The neighbors are always going to tell the people. I mean, there's a shooting or whatever there is. And first thing, first day, the neighbor's there, the, neighbor, the next door guy knocks on the door and says, oh yeah, I just want to see if they got all the blood out. Right. And they're like, what? So uh, we would tend to over disclose. But I think that to your point, you don't want to scare people away. But the neighbor was doing that job for you. Right. <laughs> so what are the uh, takeaways? What are the lessons that you learned on this one? Well, one of them was just to make sure that um, the, the crime issue is is mitigated and that it's not something that was plaguing the neighborhood or something that um, was not associated with the tenant. So the, discussing with the management company and, and the police department, we, we realized it was it was a localized incident. Um, so it wasn't like we were just trying to bring tenants to an unsafe neighborhood or an unsafe property. Um, it was it was the first time that anything like that had happened in that street or that neighborhood. And and the second was that a lot of these security systems, it's, it's almost like having a, an on-site uh, security officer without having to pay the payroll for it. So the technology has come a long way and it's kind of helped us digitally secure the property uh, while utilizing the property management company. Well, of course, you're in your portfolio, you have more than 100 houses. So this isn't something that you would react or, or get riled up by because you've been in the game a while. I think part of the lesson for a new investor, if this was your first investment you had this stuff, you might be discouraged from real estate, but just know that this is the exception, not the rule. Right. All right, good stuff. Thanks for uh, sharing your uh, Halloween horror story with us. That's my pleasure. An honor to be back here. There's Sep Bacom from Bacom Investment Group. Our next offensive account is entitled The Bankrupt Builder. Well, it's bad, but it's going to get worse. It's time to meet an old friend of ours. Todd Sulzinger is with us. And Todd, we go back many, many years. Yeah, we first met back in 2010, back at your old uh, syndication events in Santa Clara. Okay, right on. Well, uh, I know things have, some things have gone really well for you in real estate, but there's obviously at least one that hasn't. Tell us your Halloween horror story. Yes, back in 2011, 
I was looking to invest some self-directed IRA funds and found a developer outside of San Antonio, Texas, who was building fourplexes and uh, fourplexes to sell to investors. And uh, after the financial crisis, bank funding dried up. So he was looking for hard money loans to keep his business moving. So uh, through a broker, uh, I invested uh, in one of, the, one of his deals to build one of the fourplexes. And unfortunately, after about a few months, one of his suppliers went bankrupt that he had a lot of money in, and he ended up filing for bankruptcy. Uh-oh. So you weren't actually investing to own the fourplex. You were making a loan to the builder to develop the property. That's correct. He was offering, you know, pretty good returns um, uh, between 14 and 18 percent, which was, you know, might seem unusual or high from a percentage standpoint. But from his standpoint, the dollars he was spending for those loans wasn't that high for him to be able to keep his business moving. Well, that's a good point because people have successfully done this model. So it's not that it's a bad model. And the reason builders can often pay that is they don't have the money for so long. And it's a lot easier than applying for a loan. The collateral isn't yet there because it's not built. And so private capital Capital can be a great outcome on both sides. But obviously, this didn't work out well. So uh, tell us the rest of the story. So yeah, luckily, some of the money was held in a construction management company. It hadn't been released to him, uh, but not but not all of it. So I didn't get all my money back. It took a couple years to uh, for, for another investor to actually come in and buy uh, many of the lots in the development. Um, so I got some of my money back, but not all of it. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things I learned from that was that I invested uh, or made a loan on a part of a fourplex. Right. Let's talk about that part of it, because that's interesting especially part of a fourplex that's not yet built. That's correct, right. So uh, so I had a first lien position on one-fourth of the fourplex, but that's hard to foreclose on. You can't foreclose on it by yourself. Um, if it was a single-family home, I could have taken the land and sold that off or potentially done something with it. But as part of a fourplex, I was working with the other investors that own that property. Uh, and it's much, much harder to, uh, to do something with if it goes south. All right. So not a total loss, but uh, a little painful. Let's talk about some of the lessons, some of the takeaways from this. Uh, well, that definitely I wouldn't invest in uh, or do a hard money loan on a fourplex. That was one one big one that I learned. Um, also, I, I didn't know exactly where the money was going. It wasn't until after the deal closed that I found out that a portion of my investment went to pay off another loan and a portion of it went to pay the broker. So I think if I would have known that ahead of time, I wouldn't have uh, made a loan on a deal where the broker was getting paid when the deal closed versus after I got my money back because our interests were misaligned. Yeah, which is an important point. Anyone, any investment, you want to make sure that you understand uh, agenda, right? What are they, what's in it for them? Why are they doing it and so forth? It's palatable to say, yeah, a builder can afford to pay 14, 15, 18% because they've got the funds for a short period of time. The idea if you're making those loans is you might make that loan again and again as the builder, but the collateral is important, right? Lenders are concerned with two things. This is a big old giant lender or an individual loaning out their IRA funds. How are they going to make the payment? And what happens if they don't? And so the collateral issue, that's a great lesson. I hope people are getting that, that if you're going to make a loan, if you're going to be in first position, which is strong, make sure it's on something that you could foreclose on that would be worthwhile. And the other part about a construction loan is there are various levels of risk when you're making a construction loan. And the least risk is when it's just raw land or when it's completely built. But in the middle point, especially if they have a supply issues like this, a suppliers, they're not a lender, but they're giving them credit and that could be part of the issue, right, when they owe 
too many people money. And so you want to know the overall health of that, uh, of the person as well. And I think there's a lot of good lessons. Hopefully the disclosure part, it's okay to ask questions if you're unsure, especially, you know, people that invest using their retirement funds. We, we tend to think differently about our retirement funds because we don't have use of that money today. And, and it, for whatever reason, right, it's like, well, that's, you know, one day I'll need that money. So we make different decisions, but we don't want to be any less prudent on the uh, actual deal. So, so uh, how have you taken these lessons and had it make you a stronger investor? It makes me ask better questions uh, in terms of uh, the asking the questions about where the money is going, how it's going to be used. Definitely uh, uh, spending more time vetting both brokers and operators uh, and uh, understanding a little bit more about the deal uh, has helped, definitely helped me in future things I've invested in or helping my investors. Good stuff. Well, thanks for sharing, Todd. Thank you. It's Halloween Horror Stories on the Real Estate Guys radio program today. Next up is a chilling tale called The Mysterious Doorman. <laughs> Our next terrible Halloween Horror Story comes from a wonderful guy, Michael Mante, who's been on Halloween Horror Stories before. So welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah. So you've been in the property management business and you own a lot of real estate. So if you're in the business for a while, you're going to have these things happen. And I always say property managers have the best Halloween horror story. So, so share with us your, uh, your Halloween horror story this year. So I would like to call this the mysterious doorman. Okay. So we bought this 10-unit building. It's on a prominent corner in a rougher neighborhood. Uh, it was our first large purchase, and we inherited some problems with the building. So the last manager had not been very diligent with who he put in. I think he was just happy to get people in there. So we had some issues with this one unit, and as we flushed out some of those issues, one of their friends came along, seemed like a great guy, and we're saying, well, better than who was in there before, so we'll give him a shot. Now at this point, this is earlier in our career, I was trusting my intuition a lot more than the process. Okay. So had not developed the process of background check, credit check, referral all that thing. So uh, skip some vacancy, let this guy take over the lease. Elderly gentleman seemed very sweet. I was actually considering giving him a job. He was so nice and could speak, you know, a couple languages that was helpful with some of our other tenants. But I started getting complaints and I couldn't understand if they were true or not. So one of the things was we have a grocery store underneath this, this uh, unit there'd be water regularly leaking down into the grocery store, happened to be right over the coffee station of one of our best tenants. So right on top of the coffee station, their clients are trying to get coffee, getting dripped on. Not good. No. Tried to get to the bottom of this leak. Oh my goodness. We cut open that ceiling probably six, seven times, uh, redoing the bathtub. Couldn't figure it out. So we end up figuring out that this guy is not what he appears. One of the things that led to that was there was actually a death in the building. So he had, out of the goodness of his heart, let this girl come in who um, had been in an abusive relationship. Of course, didn't ask us that you know he was letting somebody in. Right. He goes to work. This is a story. Uh, she overdoses in the unit and dies. Wow. So we've got that. Then I start getting reports that he's letting people take showers in the unit. And I would talk to him, and he would deny it up and down. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? Cut to the end. He had been letting people into the building, charging homeless people $10 per shower. So he's making money on our water bill. Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. 
obviously the people are not watching where the water's going, so it's dripping down into our grocery tenant. Let's a girl die up there, was running prostitution stuff out of his unit, and was just a whole huge, horrible mess. Oh my gosh. So uh, you figured this out. What happened next? Uh, I kindly asked him to leave, which, uh, which he complied with. And we got the unit cleaned up. I mean, it was it was completely horrible. Yeah. So a couple of lessons there, obviously. Now, glad you pointed out was earlier in your career. Today, you kind of know the routine. And, and what are the things that you would make sure people want to understand they need to do when they screen a tenant? Yeah, absolutely. So the big thing is intuition. I'm a firm believer in it, but it's got to be in its proper place. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, you know, you can you can skip some of the other steps. So, you know, we have everybody doing an application. We're doing background, you know, full criminal background, full eviction background, credit checking references, checking jobs, checking former landlords. So the intuition is still helpful, but you got to make sure they at least clear the hurdles of income and all these checks before you kind of evaluate, okay, does this person seem like they're suited for our space? I remember I had a friend who was a bartender and he had his license suspended and I saw him driving away from work. I'm like, don't you have a suspended license? He goes, well, yeah, but I'll tell you what, those of us with suspended licenses, we are the safest drivers on the road because (laughs) we're careful and we drive the speed limit. Someone is this kind of a person. They appear nice. They they have to overcome that in order to, you know, get into these situations. And you know, my mentor, Jim Rohn, said there's not that many really nasty people in the world. There's only really a dozen or two, but they get around a lot. So <laughs> you've got to be careful in that. So uh, so good stuff. Now, you know, as far as the physical part, the money you spend on doing the background checks and those things is an, is an investment in getting a good tenant. That's right. You could save that money, but then you spend that same money repairing the plumbing. Now, some people enjoy drip coffee, but usually not (laughs) when it's dripping from the ceiling above. So uh, great stuff. Thanks for sharing your story with us, Michael. Happy to. Thank you for having uh, me. There's Michael Manthe from Strategic Equity Management with an excellent Halloween horror story. We've got more when we come back. I'm your host, Robert Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Forbes rated Memphis the best cash flow market in the nation. And our good friend Terry Kerr at Mid-South Homebuyers has been the premier turnkey rental property provider in Memphis for over 13 years. With an A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau, Terry has renovated over 750 houses. Real Estate Guys listeners have snapped up hundreds. Discover what these satisfied investors already know. Mid-South's properties are completely renovated with a one-year warranty and a lifelong rental guarantee. They're affordable, well-managed, and easy to own. Perfect for beginning investors and veterans alike. Get in on the action. Contact Terry and his team via email at midsouth at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe, CEO of Paradigm Life. Wall Street and banks spend billions of dollars per year in advertising with the goal to convince you that they are the solution. But take a look around. None of their advice has worked. If you're listening to this, odds are pretty good that you're already a real estate investor or at least becoming one. So why do you do it? Is it to hedge inflation, the tax benefits, or maybe it's to get your money away from Wall Street? It's because of these benefits and so many more that I created the Real Estate Investor's Guide to the Perpetual Wealth Strategy. When you combine successful real estate investing with the Perpetual Wealth Strategy, you have the recipe for what has helped the wealthy to establish their financial well-being for decades. You can download the Real Estate Investor's Guide to the Perpetual Wealth Strategy today by clicking the Resources tab on the Real Estate Guys Radio homepage. 
Don't wait. Go download it now. Hi, this is Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Have fun. You'll learn something. Welcome back to this grimacing edition of the Real Estate Guys radio program, our annual Halloween horror stories, things that went terribly wrong for investors, but the lessons they learned, and you can too. Before we get back to more misery, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize, and it's a great one, by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question, which has something to do with this festive time of the year. When you hear the question and think you know the answer, send your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name, your mailing address, and the answer to the question. If you're the winner, you're going to get a quite appropriate book called The Creature from Jekyll Island by the amazing G. Edward Griffin. That can be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. Last week, we had David Stockman on the program. Talk about scary. David was a congressman from Michigan for many years, and we asked this. Michigan has more shoreline than any other U.S. state except one. Which one? Well, of course, Michigan with the Great Lakes and all that would have lots of shoreline, but even more shoreline is in the great state of Alaska. By the way, Michigan has the longest freshwater shoreline in the entire world, and Michigan ranks first in state boat registrations. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Which U.S. state grows the most pumpkins? Yeah, a lot of pumpkins out there this time of year, both for Halloween to carve up and Thanksgiving. Which U.S. state grows the most pumpkins? In fact, it's the most by a lot. If you think you know or just want to guess, send your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your answer, your real name, and your mailing address so that if you're the winner, we can send you a copy of Ed Griffin's great book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. That's today's real estate trivia question. It's Halloween Horror Stories. And next, we'll hear of betrayal, creativity, and a love triangle in a creepy chronicle we call... The Curious Sucking Sound. Real estate can be great, but real estate can be ugly, too. Things go wrong. Let's meet a charming couple that has had as a Halloween horror story. It's Brad and Emily. Hi, guys. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having us. Glad to have you guys on the program. We've had a chance to get to know each other over the last couple of years, and uh, you have kind of a unique uh, background, Brad being an electrical contractor, and you guys do a lot of cool mixed-use stuff, um, which is awesome, an awesome niche. It's great to see you continuing that, but it isn't obviously all sunshine because you have a Halloween horror story. Exactly. Um, and this actually happened in our one of our mixed-use properties we purchased a few years ago. We got to experience a love triangle. One of the tenants had her boyfriend added to the lease. Um, everything was going swimmingly. We had a tenant move out, got really lucky, got another tenant placed by a housing authority right away. And a couple months later, things went south. The boyfriend moved out of the first apartment and then moved in with the uh, new renter. Oh. So that was pretty interesting. Nice. But that's not where this gets to Halloween horror stories. The renter in the new apartment, she and her new boyfriend decided to go to Alaska and um, become commercial fishermen. As you do. Yeah. And in the meantime, decided to sublet her apartment, which was being funded by the housing authority. Nice. Yeah. So then the sublet, which we didn't know had happened... The um, tenant who was then illegally subletting the apartment 
had an issue with the drain in her bathtub and didn't want anybody to know that she was there. Because she's not the authorized tenant. Right. And so the bathtub had been backed up for some time, and we had been hearing complaints from the tenants. They, they were saying, we just hear a lot of noise. There's a lot of banging. We don't know what's going on. Well, once the water overflowed out of the bathtub, then we found out that the noise was actually them shop vacuuming the water out of the tub and dumping it into the sink like 12 or 13 times a day. Wow. They overflowed the bathtub. It then went into one of the commercial spaces downstairs. Benefit of having two different types of tenants in the same building. Right. So mixed use downstairs, you have commercial tenants, retailers, restaurants, those kind of things, and upstairs housing, and that doesn't always mix well, like in this case. No. So um, got a complaint, did some investigating um, after the water had flowed into the property. Our property manager, we did bring in property management, but not soon enough. (laughs) They had the water shut off to the building because they didn't know where the water was coming from. Found out that it was coming from the apartment and that they had overflowed the bathtub. Also came to find out that the new tenant is allegedly a drug dealer. The sub-tenant. Yes, sub-tenant. Yeah, okay. Who had a service dog, allegedly service dog, who had also a couple days or weeks ago torn apart the entire interior of her vehicle while outside and she had a big issue. but. Yeah, it was pretty rough. All right, so what happened? What, how, did the, how did it resolve? <laughs> we did an inspection of the property, got them notified that they were not authorized to be there, couldn't be there. Yep. So we did get her out. The tenant who was doing the subletting is still there. So it's still kind of an ongoing situation. Okay, but you got the bad tenant yes. out, fixed the damage and so forth, and got all that squared away. Yeah. All right. Brad, hey, let's talk about what are some of the lessons. What are things you guys learned from going through this? So, Robert, as this was one of our first purchases we did, um, we thought we could do everything ourselves. Uh, The biggest lesson, um, this property was purchased. It was an amazing cap rate, amazing return on investment. But it was out in the middle of a very rural area. It was a great buy, but you don't always want to look at the numbers. There's so much more to look at than just the numbers on on a project you're going to be investing in. You know, you got to really look at yourself and your investment philosophy. Is this something yeah, that's great if you want to be the one managing a building, but you just can't scale yourself if you're going to be the one doing the management yourself. You know, you really need to look at professional property management. And in this case, we purchased the building and there was no property management. We probably called over 50 property managers in the area and nobody was willing to manage this property because of its uniqueness and location and those kinds of things exactly that's a great lesson in itself yes that you find these tertiary markets but there isn't always good vendor supply so definite learning curve to my due diligence process of um, property management and then you know vetting your tenants make sure your property manager doesn't just take a tenant that's given to you by housing authority Granted that their rent is guaranteed from the government, you're not going to get the best kind of tenants that way. 
Yeah, and those tenants aren't necessarily educated about things like subletting the unit. I mean, I'm guessing that was prohibited in the lease, but did they know and did they not care or right? So there's there's a lesson in there too. Well, the tenant who was on the lease actually had worked for a property management company prior to whatever her situation had been. So she, so was, she knew the concept of a sublet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, good stuff. Any other any other lessons in any ways this has made you guys stronger as investors? Yes, it makes us think bigger. You know, we we now do have property management on that property, and it's just part of the learning curve. You know, this is a property. Would we buy this again? Or if you knew before what we know now, probably not. <laughs> uh, luckily, it wasn't a huge investment, and it was definitely something that made us both smarter in our investment future. Excellent. Well, there is a bright side. Thanks for sharing, guys. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. We usually focus on the positive, but once a year we like to dwell into negative territory as our amazing listeners share their Halloween horror stories. Next up is a nasty narrative entitled, When Disaster Strikes. Let's hear some more terrible news when it comes to real estate, our Halloween horror stories, but we're going to say hello to... Miss Sylvana Scholl, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, It's Robert. great to have you on the program. Thank you. And we you. just met recently, but uh, very excited about what you're doing in, uh, in your real estate practice. But not everything goes well, does it? No, it doesn't. Yep, that so well. Sure. So what happened? Well, back in 2008, I had a very successful business in, uh, in Japan. I had a, a very um, a, a large operation of uh, retail, retail and wholesale of furniture and interior design. And uh, to expand my operations, I decided to open a store and a showroom uh, built uh, for, for my purposes yeah. and, uh, in the island of Okinawa, Japan. So back in the time, the numbers made sense. Uh, things uh, based on what I was paying rent for other places, delivery trucks that I could get in the same to host in the same warehouses. So everything seemed to make sense financially. Great. And I made a big move. And right after, as you all know, the economy started to shift. Yep. So my sales were not as good as they were before, but I, st- I still was able to manage and to continue for about three years or so. And uh, however, back in 2011, between 2011 and 12, a series of natural disasters happened, as may, some of you may recall, like right. the tsunami and earthquake and all of that, which completely destroyed my whole operation there. Wow. Anything from the store to the delivery trucks to every single thing. So I was pretty much, I was not only in, in deep depth because of things how they've been going so far, but then there was a, an entire year that all the logistics in Japan were all dedicated to the relief efforts, to the humanitarian relief efforts. So sure. for an entire year, I, I was still paying certain expenses that I had with no income coming in and lots and lots of inventory, which every day was getting more and more damaged and losing the value. So it was just a problem that was getting worse by (laughs) the minute. And uh, it was really a nightmare. So, and, and eventually I had to make a decision to either 
cut my losses and then, and, I mean, continue try to rebuild my business again in Japan. Yeah. Or just close it and then move on and, and try to recover somehow. So that's what I did. I pretty much, I closed the store. I I, I, not, I, I didn't even get 10% of what I paid for the whole investment. Wow. So you can imagine the loss in there. And I shipped everything to Hawaii because back at that time I was also already moving, living in Hawaii. Yeah. And I, I started looking for places where I could sell all of these hundreds of mer- pieces of merchandise. Because some of the furniture was still fine. And oh, yeah. Saleable. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, it's still sellable. But uh, now because of the uh, natural disasters that, that they've been going through, some had to be repaired. Some were never, we were never able to repair. But anyway, I was just trying to recover my inventory as much as I could. Yeah. So finding a large space in Hawaii is not cheap, as many of you may know. I would think neither of those places would be too inexpensive. Yes, yes. So that was a real challenge as well. Anyway, but uh, and and I think the the hardest part for me is as a woman, I had uh, even during those times, I had the small babies and I had family and I had my two children. So it's it's trying to to face this big elephant in the room, this big problem that is getting worse. But you still have to be a mother and you still have to be a wife and you still have to be all of this. So that was really challenging. So to make the story short, um, I was really able to find a great place and in Hawaii, and and I mean, I've, after so much praying, I'm praying to God to please help me find a way to solve this problem. And um, we found a great location. Um, we were able to to sell everything. We were able to recover. My husband was able to step in and help me with the business. And uh, because just out of love, someone would be able to step in and really fix all this mess. And um, and we were able to recover it. However, it took seven years. Wow. Seven years of, I mean, every day was something related to working and working and trying to pay that, that the loan that we had and, and trying to recover. So well, no, it's especially yeah. tough because the natural disaster, a hundred percent out of your control, right? There's yeah. no way to do diligence against that. So, what were some of the lessons? Some of the takeaways? Well, um, I would say even at the decision to to build this operation in Japan or to expand my business there, I was already living in Hawaii. And my mentors and business coaches advised me, you know, Silvana, one thing is when you are there running the business, when you are away, especially in another country, and you're trying to run an international operation, it's not that, that easy. It really depends a lot on your team. Right. So I, I didn't listen to advice. Even, even if I had all these wonderful, great mentors around me advising me not to do something, I my I was like the superwoman. I could do anything, <laughs> yeah. and I still did it. So that was one of the greatest lessons: is you just listen to advice and also listen to your inner voice. I mean, I feel that people just look at businesses, just numbers, and this is really more than that. I mean, you you really have to listen to the the voice in you that would tell you go this way, or just maybe you shouldn't do this. Because it is there for a reason. Yeah. And then another thing is uh, like you may have heard before, slow is fast. So it's better to go steady and slow, and eventually, you know, we'll get there rather than trying to be too big, too fast, and then we cannot support that growth. Well, thankfully, you got through it. You got to the side and it built back a vibrant business. But uh, certainly, some great lessons there. Thanks for sharing with yes, us. Yes, yes, thank you. Real estate isn't always roses, but as long as we get the lessons, we become stronger when things go wrong. Our next Halloween horror story is called. The Incredible Shrinking IRA. 
This next brutal tale comes from fellow podcaster, Lane Kawaoka. How are you, sir? Good, doing good. Finally on here. I have finally got you on the show, and that's awesome. You have your own podcast. We'll tell folks how to listen to that before we're done. But uh, you've been in real estate a while. You've raised money for syndications. And tell us about your Halloween horror story. Yeah, so this happened a few years back when I was still investing in turnkey rentals. And I heard that you could use your self-directed IRA to uh, invest in deals. So that's what I set out to do. And I... Um, I went into a deal as a limited partner because I started to feel that a lot of these deals were, when I was the own operator, it was very difficult to run myself. So I was looking for more passive investments. Yep. I didn't know where to go at the time. Uh, you know, being a limited partner, you just sort of find a deal through your network. And I asked one of these uh, self-directed IRA custodians, well, what do I do with this? You know, who do I go to? And he gave me a referral. I went to the website. It wasn't that great of a website. It was kind of a strange uh, video playing. and But I invested anyway. I invested $43,000, pretty much everything that was in my self-directed IRA at the time. Okay. But it all didn't go well. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having you on this episode. That's correct. So the deal was, you know, you get like a 9% return. And then when the property finally sells five years later, you get like a 50-50 split. Okay. So everything was fine for about a couple of years. Um, about that time, I was just kind of networking with a bunch of other limited partners, seeing what other people were doing. And I've kind of heard through the grapevine that this operator wasn't the most scrupulous person out there. And uh, a year later, you know, through my networking, you know, somebody else who has been in the deal too said they got a little nasty gram saying that the, uh, the, the deal was going south and they need to... You know, they got this long letter saying some options, and but basically they had to uh, foreclose and take back the property via deed in lieu. So. Ah, uh-oh. Okay, but that doesn't mean you're out of the picture. No, no, I, I was still optimistic at the time, but then a year later I got my little nasty gram saying that mine was going downhill too. Okay, so how did it turn out at the end of the day? Was it a total loss? Well, I got back the property, and luckily the tenants were still in place, but, you know, with a lot of these lower-class, D-class properties... It's just a matter of time till they go offline. So right. the tenants skipped town, and now I was left with this property that needed about $20,000 for repair in a tertiary market where it's, you know, these properties don't sell in like six months. It takes right. much longer. Yeah. So here I am with this property where it's tough to infuse capital because it's in a self-directed IRA. Well, and that's an important point. So let's not skip over that. No investor left behind. One of the great advantages of putting money in with your from your self-directed retirement account is that it's access to capital you might not have thought of. It's treated differently for tax purposes. There's a lot of reasons to like it. One of the negatives is you can't commingle it typically with other money. You would have to have that money in your retirement fund. And so you can be strapped in a position like this and that can get really ugly. Right, right. So if it was outside of my self-directed IRA account, you know, I'd bring some liquidity and fix it up, but I didn't have those funds. And at the time, I, I, I just kind of wrote it off in my head, you know, to go out and get a lawyer to fight this, it would just been a lot of bad juju and just yep. it would just make me upset, I think. I was doing other things in my investing, doing bigger deals at the time, and I just I just didn't need this. Yep. So I eventually sold the property, fire sold it, took my $7,000, I think it was all it left after like even a $7,000 commission fee too in there. Wow. So, uh, and then it essentially cashed out my uh, self-directed IRA and... That was that. Was that. <laughs> well, let's talk about the brighter side, which is some of the lessons. So going through something like this, it teaches you some things. It makes you a better investor. What did you learn from this? Well, it was a, it was a great going into a LP experience, and it was sort of working in the beginning. But the lesson learned is don't work with anybody you don't know, like, or trust. And also build up 
you know, as a limited partner, you go around, you meet different people. Don't lose focus about building up your other, you know, peer investors, other limited partners. Those are the people to really um, get to know, build relationships, because then now you can bounce ideas off each other. Have you worked with this guy? Have you worked with that guy? And if I would have done that and had a network at that time, then hopefully it wouldn't have happened. Right. Now, there's one other silver lining that I see, and maybe you can tell me if this is true for you, but uh, today, in addition to owning real estate, you syndicate deals, so you raise money to do deals. You have empathy, right? Have Being a guy that lost some money in somebody else's deal, I think that would make you a stronger syndicator. Yeah, that's right. And And what I tell everybody is like, hey, don't take my word for it. Listen to my podcast, get to know me as a person. But go around, you know, shop around, get to know other people. If you like this deal, you can come back later and there'll always be another deal. When I go around and I work with different operators to work with, I always see their first deal and I'm like, well, I'm not going to invest the first time. Let's just get that straight. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. Lane's podcast is called Simple Passive Cash Flow, and you can check it out at all your favorite podcast locations. Thanks for being on the program. Yeah. Thanks, Robert. All right. Good stuff. You turn to the Real Estate Guys radio program. It's Halloween Horror Stories, more tales of woe when we return. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. If you want to learn how you could potentially increase your net worth by over a million dollars and quit your job in just a few short years, listen closely for the next 60 seconds. This is Brad Sumrock, and over the past 16 years, I've helped thousands of people invest profitably in real estate but not just any type of real estate. I specialize in helping people syndicate large apartment buildings so that they can be business owners and investors. In today's competitive environment, it's even more important than ever to leverage an experienced mentor, invest in your education, and have a team of advisors that has established relationships nationwide. And so many people right now seem to be struggling to find deals and then get them funded but yet some rock students are thriving in today's marketplace. We've purchased nearly 7,000 units and nearly one half billion in purchase volume over the past 12 months. And with the new Trump tax laws, apartment investors are positioned now better than ever before to pay even less in taxes. To find out more, send an email to apartmentsnow at realestateguysradio.com and you'll get my recent presentation called Why Apartments Now? That's apartments now at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, this is Doug Casey, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. It's our 2018 edition of Halloween Horror Stories. 
Hey, if you ever wanted to do bigger deals using other people's money, then come on out to the Secrets of Successful Syndication. Happens in the middle of February next year in Dallas, Texas. You can get all the details at realestateguysradio.com under events. This week it is our Halloween Horror Story edition, and our next story is a foul, faraway fable called Trouble in Paradise. Misery is not isolated to the United States of America. Let's meet a gentleman who is a real estate broker and investor from the beautiful country of Belize. It's our good friend, David Kafka. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good to have you on the program, man. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, we've known you for quite a bit, and you work down in southern Belize and have a a vibrant uh, real estate practice there, and you do some syndication and those kinds of things. And uh, mostly it's all beautiful and sunshine stuff in Belize, but sometimes it doesn't go well, and you have kind of an ugly Halloween horror story. Tell us what happened. Yeah, about uh, one Sunday night, I got a phone call from one of my employees, and she said the police needed me to go meet um, them just north of the airport in Placencia. So I did that, and they told me they found a body and needed me to help identify her with her passport. She was a client of mine. I had just uh, listed and sold her house and went out there. She had been missing. She was on this property for a few days. Uh, so it's kind of decomposed and things like that. So we had to identify her you know, using her passport. Wow. Not a pleasant experience. No. But it gets worse than that because you were in a position, being the person that listed and sold the house, to know her and that she wasn't well known in the local area necessarily. But they, there was more to the story. Tell us that part of it. Yeah. So she had, uh, she had been living there. Um, but was wanting to move back. And uh, a lot of people were saying that she was having some questions of if she wanted to sell or not, and that I was forcing her to sell. And if anybody knows me, I try to talk people out of selling Belize right now because to me, I'd be buying everything in Belize and not selling. Right. So we've never had that conversation. I had talked to her on the 10th, and then she didn't even tell me she was coming to Belize on the 13th. And since I had her house listed, sold, we had just taped a, a program of House Hunters International in the house. I was one of the few people who had her keys. So I'm sure I was a suspect. And so I was trying to do everything I could with the police department uh, to A, clear my name and help find who killed her for her family. Right. Well, terrible situation to be in. And obviously, that's not part of your plan, whether you're just a service provider helping people with uh, houses or or buying property of your own. I know there's a need in your market for workforce housing, and you're working on a solution there. But, you know, things happen in those kinds of of areas, and it's never a good solution. But let's talk about maybe some of the aftermath of this and how it's made you a better realtor, better investor. I think I would make sure I have all the proper documentation. Like we had her passport, but it wasn't signed. So I'd make sure that what I'm trying to do now is make sure when we list something or sell something, um, or even in my syndications, all the paperwork, the documentation is I's are dotted, T's are crossed, um, because that would have helped when some things come up, questioning if things were forged or not, if we would have had her passport signed, um, which we would have had to have to finish the sale, but we had just not gotten to that point yet. Wow. And there was some speculation that perhaps there was something amiss about the documentation and trying to get it or equity and all that. Yep. Yep. With the house, uh, looked like some a will came up and was kind of questionable. Um, it was definitely uh, forged. It looked like 
because her parents provided us with documentation uh, from her social security card and her signature was totally different than on her paperwork. But in the end, nobody was questioning it. So it ended up just closing probably two weeks ago. And this happened over about a little over a year ago. Wow. So I think one of the lessons just in general is that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And when we're in the business of that, we have to be as sensitive as possible. I mean, it's a very difficult situation. Someone loses their life. At, at the same time, there are things that are out of our control. The idea that you'd be a suspect does make sense just because you had the access. But pretty soon they, they rule out, you know, motive and those kinds of things. But uh, scary times to go through. So keeping your fortitude when times are, are, are bleak. Uh, because it hasn't soured you on Belize, it hasn't soured you on the market or, or the way that you help people. Correct. Yeah. No, I still feel it's a pretty safe country as long as you are treated like any other place, yeah. you know. And, and really, you know, knowing the market fairly well, this is the exception, not the rule. So when you told me about it, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Any other lessons, any other takeaways from going, having gone through this? Just be compassionate with the family. Um, do what all you can do to uh, help the police. Um, the FBI have just come down to help try to solve this because it is still an unsolved murder yeah. and trying to keep your nose out of it as well. Cause I was trying to help find whoever and be a detective and that's not my job that, and just trying to, you know, help the family. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate uh, you taking the time to tell us your Halloween horror story, David. Thank you very much. Our final ghastly yarn for this year is a real bone burner entitled a red hot deal. And the hits just keep on coming. Real estate is usually really great, but once a year, we got to focus on this ugly stuff. Let's welcome to the program, Ryan Gibson. How are you? Good, Robert. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to see you. It's good to have you here, but not all real estate deals go well. Tell us your Halloween horror story. Well, I, I'm a longtime listener of your show, and there's something that I picked up from what you guys say all the time, which is, if it can go wrong, it probably will. Right. And also, bad news doesn't get better with age. And those were kind of the two things that we took away and applied to this situation, which we had great insurance on a project. It was a condo conversion development opportunity that we had where we took an existing single family home and developed it into condos. Wow. And pretty much the project uh, was about two months from completion when somebody broke into our property and started a fire and it pretty much torched two of the condos to the point where we had to file the insurance claim and take everything out of the condos and rebuild them entirely, Wow! which was really bad news for everybody. And the way that I found out about it was I was actually in Hawaii at the time, and I got a call at a very weird hour from a neighbor to tell me, and I, the voicemail said, I just wanted to let you know that your property is on fire. And he kind of had a, a funny way of thinking of it. And I said, yeah, I think it looks great. It does. I think it is on fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> Market's strong. It's on fire, man. <laughs> but I was curious as to why I came so late at night. So unfortunately, we had to, uh, it was a syndicated deal that we, that we uh, put together with investors. Yep. There was also a bank loan on the property. So there was a lot of people that had a lot of interest in knowing what was happening with the property. So we immediately sent out an email probably within five minutes of finding out about the property to let our investors know exactly what was happening and that we were dealing with the situation. We were going to file an insurance claim. We were going to go to the property. We were going to do everything that we could to kind of collect the damage and assess the situation. And then um, the bank also was uh, informed of it right away. The property had been so delayed with previous things that if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And it did go wrong. 
that this was kind of the cherry on top for problems with the property. So without going into the whole story of the property taking longer to permit and get the approvals from zoning and go through this property, we now we're now faced with a situation where the property um, got every single neighbor out of their home at about one o'clock in the morning. Now all eyes are on us. Um, some of the neighbors had smoke come into their properties because they were adjoined. So we we did everything we could. We we actually offered to pay for hotels um, of any neighbors that were affected and impacted, yep. even though it wasn't our fault. Um, but we were just taking swift action to do the right thing for the neighbors. And we also agreed uh, later on because of the strife that we that the neighbors had to go through because of this arsonist. We um, agreed to you know, build a fence and do a couple things for the neighbors that were you know, just kind of in good good spirits of their situation that happened as well. All right. So that's smart. A lot of, lot of smart action in here, right? Delivering that news as you talked about. It's not <laughs> going to get better over time. Last thing you want is your investor to see it on the news when you, they didn't hear from you. So, uh, But, you know, you're you're in another place and all that kind of stuff. So, wow. How did it end up? Uh, you, you mentioned good insurance. So tell yeah, us how the story ends. We were probably overpaying for insurance and we were probably overinsured. And I always think about the expense that goes out the door every month, but it pretty much covered everything to the dollar. Uh, we did a full insurance claim. Um, the damage was well over, I think it was well over a hundred thousand dollars. They, they paid for everything. Um, they got the, it. There was a lot of logistics. We had to file a police report. We had to go to the fire department and get the fire inspector to come inspect the property to determine what the cause was. There was actually an arrest that was made at the property that evening or that in the, in the early morning hours. And so our insurance pretty much covered the entire rebuild of the project. Uh, we got the contractor over there right away. He was actually there the night of the fire. Uh, we called him out and he came out to assess the damage to kind of be our eyes and ears on the ground. We actually filed the claim and um, everything got rebuilt and we put it on the market and sold everything. And our investors got um, above 50% return on the deal and um, closed it out. So it ended up being a good, good news story, but uh, man, it was stressful for about three months. Wow. <laughs> of, of, it was uh, all good except that middle part. Right. So uh, what are some of the lessons? So always be overinsured and have that backup policy. Um, I think that was the, the, the key thing. Make sure that if you're doing, we, we do a lot of projects out of, out of town, make sure you always have somebody in place your eyes and ears that can be over there within, you know, a matter of minutes. So yeah. in this case, we had a project manager that was there. Uh, he lived about just a less than a mile away. And then we also had a contractor that we, we could rely on to be there um, that evening. Those were kind of the two, the two main things that, you know, just having that, that experience to, to have the insurance and have people in place that can, that can correct the situation quickly. Well, and you have enough projects and enough places that you don't get overly surprised when something goes bad. Right. <laughs> and part of the lesson we want listeners to understand is every now and then somebody's first investment goes sideways. And we don't want that to sour people on real estate because right. these things happen. Getting through them and getting the lesson is, is huge. So thanks for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. There you have it, the 2018 edition of Halloween Horror Stories. That was some yucky stuff. Yeah, they just keep getting better and better. But I love everybody's attitude about it, you know, and you can hear even people, different personality types, how they address the issues, you yep. know, and uh, you got people that are very analytical, very methodical. They go through it. And, and uh, you know, there's some people that are like, hey, you know, I get, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty wound up. My blood pressure is high and I'm struggling through this. And but at the end of the day, I do think that if you if you just learn the discipline of, of the thought process, like we did in the interview here, where people uh, say, OK, you know, first of all, what happened? And then why did it happen? And then how can I resolve it? 
And then at the end, what can I learn so that next time I either recognize the problem sooner and avoid it, or I can begin putting in place the corrective action to either mitigate or correct it uh, before it gets out of hand. The, the one thing you don't want to do is go into denial or ignore or procrastination or you know hope as a strategy. I hope it goes away by itself. Typically, it won't. Uh, you know, Jim Collins in Good to Great says you got to confront the brutal facts. And sometimes it's the numbers are telling you a train wreck is coming. Uh, sometimes there's economic indicators telling you a train wreck's coming. Bob Helm says all the time the information about a relationship is available at the beginning if you will pay attention. So it could be, you know, if it's a problem with a property manager or a tenant or a business partner or uh, even a community, a planning commission or, you know, whatever's going, HOA, whatever it is, a lot of times the warning signs are there if you'll heed them. Yeah. So really great stuff. Big thanks to all the folks who were brave enough to come on the show and have this group therapy called Halloween Horror Stories. Uh, If you've got one that's happened to you, it's not too early to let us know about it for next year. And uh, as you heard, everybody was live on the mic. So we planned this in advance and we were able to get people uh, in the room. And it took some time to assemble the stories. We've been recording them for a few months, but uh, not too late to think about next year. Speaking of next year, coming up, it is the 17th annual Investor Summit at Sea. So excited about next year's summit. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, you think, are these guys ever going to quit doing this, right? I'm telling you, it just keeps getting better and better. And it just keeps attracting better quality people. And what's, you know, I think probably the most gratifying thing, the thing that, that really tells me that this is a quality event is that people like Peter Schiff and Tom Hopkins and Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart uh, and, and even Kiyosaki, Robert Kiyosaki comes back regularly. He's always wants to know, guys, when is the summit? I'm going to try to arrange my schedule to be there. We never know for sure, you know, who's going to come because we, but we have so many people that come multiple times and, and these people, I mean, it's always an open invitation, but these are super, super busy people, lots of demands on their time, lots of places they could go. But for some crazy reason, they like to hang with the real estate guys and our listeners. And so it's really an honor to do it. And it's just taken on a life of its own. If you've never been I think you owe it to yourself at least once in a lifetime to go on the Real Estate Guys Investor Summit at Sea. And I'm telling you, with everything going on in the world right now, we don't know at this stage of the game what it's going to look like in the spring, but we know that stuff is going to be going on. We're going to have a new Congress in the United States. We don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, we, we are going to see what the shakeout is with the rising of the interest rates and the quantitative tightening that's been going on and the tariffs and everything going on in terms of world trade and the trade wars and just more and more of the Trump administration economic policy. You know, it's going to have its ups and downs. We don't know. we got the tax code still rolling out. We got the whole opportunity zone thing coming online. There's just a lot of things to talk about. And where can you go where you can get around a bunch of big brains where you can get quality time, quantity time, and you're completely isolated from the daily grind. There's very, very few places you can go, and it's a ton of fun. Yeah, it sure is. So join us for the summit. It happens in March of 2019. All the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click the button that says Summit. Have a happy, happy Halloween. We'll see some of you at the New Orleans Investment Conference coming up. And until next week, Go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers. Low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct. 
asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.